0: Yo, this hot, this the spot. There it is, pod.com. We're interviewing the best comedians, so tune in quick and get your ears receiving them. we talking about life and life to stream right to you from the microphone right to your home, dude. Side note, this might get embarrassing, but no, don't sweat, yo, because there it is. Welcome to the There It Is Podcast, a podcast. For creating comedy and learning how to do it. I'm your host, Jason Farr. Let's do this. Thank you so much for being here. Love having you. And we talk a lot about comedy and how to create that. And oftentimes it's improv. But today we're talking about stand-up comedy with a great guest. More on that in a second. If you want to know more about the podcast, because this is your first time listening, again, thank you for listening. But you can find old episodes on iTunes and SoundCloud, and you can read up on them on the website, thereitispod.com. You heard it in the song. You can also read old blogs, things that I popped up. I need to get some new ones on there. And you can find us on social media, on both Facebook and Twitter, at thereitispod.com. I usually do have improv people on, for whatever reason, uh, they've just been more accessible and easier to get on the on the podcast, but today we have a great stand-up comedian. His name is Joe Zimmerman. He's a guy that, when I started, I, I pretty early on started hearing about him from my buddies. He was actually living not too far from me. He was uh, up in North Carolina, just over the border there, and I'm in the upstate of South Carolina, and Joe was always a delight to have here because he was just so funny and so cool. And so he was one of the guys that we looked up to. And so it was really great to have him on the podcast and and get to pick his brain a little bit about not only how he approaches comedy, but how he approached it in New York City, which is something I want to know about specifically because I'm moving to New York City in a month and a half, if uh, you don't know already. Hey, do you know that? Okay, Uh, (laughs) I talk about it every episode. So, we get into some good stuff. We talk about how he came along in comedy, how he did pursue comedy in New York, and how he got his awesome credits. He's been on Comedy Central a couple of times, one of which was his own half-hour special. He's been on The Late Late Show with Craig Ferguson, and he's been on Conan. He's fantastic. Without further ado, let's get right to it. Here is my chat with Joe Zimmerman.
1: It's good to talk to you, Joe. I've missed you. Oh, I've missed you. Yeah, well... When was that? Was uh, were you were there at the last Greenville show I did, weren't you? Uh, when was that? About a year ago at the Coffee Underground.
0: Then yes, I was at that show, and it was a great show. That's awesome. (laughs) Now I came to know you in Greenville because you performed here a lot. I know you were living in the Asheville area at the time, but I was never sure if you lived in Atlanta and at some point moved to Asheville, or if you lived in Asheville and just drove to Atlanta a lot?
1: I was living in Asheville, and I simply drove to Atlanta a lot.
0: Okay, I thought you were living in Atlanta at first.
1: People in Well, people in New York think I'm from Atlanta because I toured with the Beards of Comedy, who are mostly from Atlanta. Right, right. But I, I just drove to Atlanta a lot, but I also drove to Greenville a lot. Yeah. Um, I just drove... I just did a lot of different—I just drove a lot because I wanted to do comedy, Mm -hmm. and there were only, you know, a couple shows, one or two shows a week before I started in Charlotte and Asheville.
0: Yeah, you did come here a lot. That's how I came to know you. It was around seven years ago when I first heard about you. Maybe it was even sooner than that. I started with Charlie Gray and Michael Robinette, and they were just raving about you and the Beards of Comedy here in Greenville, um, and—like, they were—we were in greenville and I just had the impression you were from Atlanta for like a, and it was like a year later when I found out, like one of them mentioned that you lived in Asheville. And I thought, huh, what? <laughs> yeah, it was always a treat to have you here, but I, I had no cu- no clue at first that you were living in Asheville. And I didn't know it was for that, quite that long.
1: Well, you know, for a while, I actually lived with in with Charlie Grenzer in his guest room in Hendersonville which was only about 40, 40, 45 minutes from Greenville.
0: Yeah, it's not far at all. And I I didn't realize that you lived with Charlie Grinser.
1: Well, I just lived in there. I lived in their guest room for a couple years while I was trying to get started at doing the road. And so for those two years living in Hendersonville, I really just drove everywhere. I I got, and had so many miles on my car. It's crazy to think back that I did that because it sounds insane to me, but. I guess that, that worked. I mean, I guess people, I got to meet a lot of different people, like, like yourself.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: And I felt part, I, I kind of felt part of, I kind of felt part of a small part of the Atlanta scene, a little bit of the Greenville scene, a little bit of the Asheville scene, and a little bit of the Charlotte scene, just like a little piece of each.
0: Do you think that being a part of the Atlanta scene and the Greenville and Asheville scene, as you were, you were saying, helped your growth?
1: Well, I'm sure it did. Um, I think that it definitely taught me how to travel mm-hmm. and perform instead of just performing at home from home. Because I think uh, I think people who live in New York and Chicago and L.A. and San Francisco and Boston, I believe they have a big advantage for doing comedy because they can do two or three shows a night
2: mm-hmm.
1: and go home and have a day job if they want and they can keep getting better at comedy, um, in their own city. Mm -hmm. So I'm sure I was molded just in that. I was always traveling just to perform. I I don't know. I don't know how that would have been different, but I'm sure it had some impact just that I was used to doing the road.
0: Yeah. Very, very cool. So you were driving a ton to perform. Do you think it helped prepare you for touring at all, in, like in some little way?
1: Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I, I find it strange in hindsight that I did that, to be honest. <laughs>
2: <laughs>
1: but, uh, but I definitely did that. And uh, so now when I travel out of New York, it, it feels relatively easy because I usually just fly into a gig
2: hmm right. Do
1: some shows and fly back, and that feels super easy.
0: Oh, yeah, I can imagine so. It's kind of like those bands that when they started out, they were driving themselves, like all stuffed up in, in, in a van together. Yeah. I've heard some bands talk about that time period of driving themselves, being in on the road together, and how it helped them when they got bigger because they n- knew how to be on the road. And still do good shows. Totally. So you move out to New York City eventually. How many years had you been doing comedy by that point?
1: Um, five, five, five and a half years.
0: Oh, wow. I didn't realize that's all that you were doing at that point. And uh, when did you move to New York?
1: I moved there f- five years ago. It's
0: only been five years? Uh-huh. How has only that much time passed?
1: I know. I It's hard to believe I met you seven years ago because, yeah, I have a problem. I I have this issue with time because when you, you always see somebody who starts after you Mm -hmm. as newer, Yeah, you know? Yeah, totally. But the longer you do it, the the longer you do it, the more they've been doing it a long time.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. But, you know, they always seem like the new kid. Yeah. But at some point, they've got some real years in.
1: But in my head, like you and Charlie and Michael
0: and, Robinette, uh, Michael Robinette.
1: Yeah. All those guys seem, seem new to me, but it's just my <laughs> head playing tricks with me.
0: Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, a lot of people talk about moving to New York City and now you have to start over again, no matter what. Is that something you had to deal with? And how did you get? your feet on the ground there. Cause it, it seems to be somewhat common that I hear that, but you had some stuff going for you, like the beards of comedy.
1: Yeah. But it, it did. Well, I didn't have to completely start over because I had gigs on the road.
0: Right. Right. Yeah.
1: And I knew some people you, moving there, but
0: yeah, you're doing a ton of stuff. You're going, I definitely going all over.
1: Yeah. But you definitely start over. I mean, you definitely spend a year. I definitely spent a year, not really feeling part of the scene. Mm. And then over the course of a year of just showing up and saying hi to people, Mm -hmm. then after about a year, I feel like I knew I just, you know, you're around the scene. So people recognize you.
0: Right. Right.
1: And then, and then I felt more part of the scene after about a year. But yeah, I mean, even if you've been doing it a while and you're, you know, a guy moves if a guy moves to New York from Chicago and he's established. It's not like New York is ready to throw a welcome party. <laughs> it's more like, it's more like, well, let's see if he sticks around and doesn't give up in six months, because a lot of people move move back. Right. So, okay. So you definitely have to be there for a while. That,
0: that's interesting um, because so many people who talk about moving to a bigger city is that they always come from the angle of it's going to be, you know, you're going to be starting all over, which certainly will be true for me. (laughs) But, um, you know, people will, uh, like, people talk about how when you move to a big place, everyone's trying to look to see if you're actually funny or not. But that's, that's how they look at a new comic. But for someone who has traction going into New York City, it's not so much about, Seeing if they're actually funny, but seeing if they're gonna stick around long enough to start making a commitment with them, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's partly like it's partly there. It, yeah, people people come and go so frequently that you have to put in a little time before people will warm up to you. I mean, I don't, it's like an aban- You know, a child that's been abandoned. <laughs>
2: all
1: of our friends, all of our friends move so quickly.
0: Right, because maybe once they get some traction in New York City, they might end up moving to L.A. for something. Yeah. It seemed like you started, like, pretty quickly, it seemed like you started to get some great TV spots. What all went on for that to come about?
1: Um, I would say maybe i have been in New York for two years, mm-hmm. and it started to become more and more apparent to me how important it actually is to get a TV credit mm-hmm. and to get something like Montreal,
2: mm-hmm.
1: New Faces... Because living in North Carolina, I was like, ah, you don't need any of that stuff. I just want to do live shows, and I just want to write. I don't really care about TV and special festivals. Mm-hmm. Then once you, once you get in New York and you've been doing the road for a while, you realize it's just really hard to book It's really hard to book decent gigs if you don't have any TV credits.
0: Right, right.
1: Um, So I realized you kind of have to get some TV credits just to perform the gigs you want to perform. (laughs) And so I started focusing on putting together a good five-minute late-night tape submission and a good five-minute Montreal set. And uh, once I started focusing on that five-minute tape, uh, after about a couple months of working on that five-minute set pretty hard and taping it a lot, I started to have some, some good things happen.
0: Yeah, yeah, you did. And did you have to have a manager or agent to submit those tapes?
1: Uh, no, I did not. Um, and if you're in New York or L.A., you, you can pretty quickly figure out I mean, over the course of a couple of years you can you can compile a lot of the emails you need mm-hmm. to submit directly. However, you really have to meet the people at a festival or at a show for them to really consider a tape that you submit. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I I actually I just I had some good sets at the Laughing Skull festival in Atlanta and uh, met a basically met a guy who told me to submit a five-minute tape, and I followed up with him for a, a year. And uh, that ended up translating into uh, my first TV thing, which was John Oliver. Oh. Because he then became the booker for John Oliver. Oh, cool. Yeah. So met a guy in Atlanta who was not the booker for John Oliver, but then he became the booker for John Oliver.
0: So, it's kind of like who you know. Yeah, it's... Sort of like what they say.
1: It's partly... But but I don't want to confuse that statement by saying it's who you know, because it's more about the tape you submit, mm-hmm. but on top of that, you have to have met that person. So,
0: it's kind of like meet them, get them sort of aware
1: of you. and And... But I just want to be clear, by knowing people, that just means, you know, going to comedy festivals and continuing to grow as a comedian. You you end up meeting people along the way.
0: Right, and they'll know if you're doing the work or not. Yeah. I've heard some people, they were in different industries in media, but they were talking about being easy to work with and wanting to work with people who are easy to work with. When it comes to comedy, it seems like it depends on the kind of job you have, but does that relate much with stand up?
1: Uh, I've never really I feel like everybody who's successful, I feel like 99% of people who are successful are somewhat easy to work with, mm-hmm. but but I think it's more about it's more about the the audience. It's more about the crowd. Like mm-hmm. if Fallon, if Jimmy Fallon thinks that you're going to have a great set on his show and that that 5-minute set is going to get a million views on YouTube. He'll want you on his show. Um, Regardless of how easy you are to work with. Okay,
0: yeah. Yeah, so they would care more about what you can provide. Someone might be a jerk, I don't know, but they're only going to be there and be responsible for, like, five minutes. Right. It's not like they have to work with you, which is where being easy to work with comes in.
1: So I think, yeah. I think you have to go out of your you have to go out of your way to be hard to work with. Oh yeah.
0: (laughs) Yeah, for sure.
1: So, so I think it's more of just, it's more just the content. What, what you bring to the table Mm -hmm. as a comedian, I think that people, and, and, and the biggest thing really is any, the only thing any industry cares about is do you have a following or, or is there a chance that you might, get a following like they're drafting people like in the NBA draft they're (laughs) like well this guy might this guy I feel like this guy might have potential to get a following
0: that makes sense that makes a lot of sense
1: yeah they're only they're really only looking at whether you can get a fan get fans right because it's all about for the industry it's all about the numbers
0: right exactly I mean that's exactly what a what a studio exec is going to be looking at right can you do the one thing they need you to oh totally not that we're saying people shouldn't be good people. They should be good people, of course.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah. A lot
0: of comics, when I hear them talking about moving to a city like New York, they'll say, I mean, everybody says, like, oh, you, you just have to get in the good rooms and get to the good rooms, but they don't really say what the good rooms are or how to get on, the good, on at the good rooms. Like, obviously, you can't just get on Comedy Cellar or Gotham, which are the obvious good rooms, but... How do you get on The Good Rooms?
1: Well, I think showing up in New York is is similar for a lot of people. I think you have to show up at these open mics, or no matter how good you are, and, meet, and you meet other comics. I mean, every open mic in New York is like 40 comics. So mm-hmm,
2: mm-hmm.
1: as depressing as comics say these open mics are, <laughs> um, a lot of the people in that room well, not a lot, but some of the people in that room end up being writers and successful comedians.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So it's like the guys who started out in New York 10 years ago, now their friends are writers and producers and successful comedians.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And
1: so as you as you come up through the scene... Um, you continue to get booked on better shows just because people, you have to start somewhere. And so people will recommend, Oh, Uh this guy's funny. And the only way they can know that is from meeting you. Right. I mean, the first place to start is from meeting you at an open mic.
0: Right. Right.
1: And then, and then you get, you start getting booked on shows and from there you start doing auditions for clubs but mm-hmm. it definitely helps in New York, a city that big. It helps to ha- to have your own weekly or monthly show, mm-hmm. so that you can get your own stage time, and you can invite other people to do your show.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And it's a that's a good way to meet people starting out, because it's all about sort of getting your foot in the scene. Right. Because uh, getting in it, it get into the clubs, it's all mostly referrals. Which is from people knowing you from, from, from doing comedy. I
0: I hear some people talk about hitting the grind, and you have to grind. Uh, that's something else I hear alluded to, but not really explained.
1: Um, yeah, I don't look at it so much as a grind. I think a lot of people feel like they need to do three. Feel, well, a lot of people feel feel like starting out they need to do three or four spots a night whether that's open mics or shows Mm -hmm. and then you're just hustling around on the train running from show to show doing relatively tougher audiences
2: the
1: the crowds in New York are tougher because they're smaller Mm -hmm. and they have higher expectations
0: yeah because they're seeing comics who are doing TV level material (laughs) all the time
1: yeah so, the grind is trained to a spot, trained to a spot, trained to a spot, and all of the spots are challenging spots. Um, I usually don't do that; I usually just hit one show when I do it I, usually I'll just go to one show, I'll hang out, mm-hmm. do my spot, hang out, and uh catch the train home and that's just the way I do it. I, I mm-hmm. think a lot of people want to hustle around and get more stage time. Um, right. But that's kind of where, more where I'm at. That's more my speed of just doing one spot a night.
0: One thing I remember about you when you were in our room here in Greenville is that as soon as you got off stage, stage you would furiously start writing in your, your journal I'm not positive what you were writing out but uh I always assumed it was any combination of writing out what went well, what didn't, any tags that came to you on stage, what was your process with that? What was what was it you were writing out?
1: Um I don't really remember, I don't really recall doing that, but
0: well, it was like every time I saw you at our open mic, that's when I'd see you do it.
1: I guess that was kind of a different different time for me in my life Mm. in my comedy where yeah i was i was definitely trying i was definitely driving to greenville trying to do all new material Mm -hmm. and then uh and then maybe you know trying to write down whatever i did now i almost never do all new material, so (laughs) it'd be fun to get back it'd almost be fun to get back to that point Mm -hmm. where i could just go on stage and try all new material. But that is the difficult thing about New York is, you know, all new material, you just hardly get any reaction from the audience.
0: Right, right. They
1: don't stick with you. They don't stick with you long enough to allow you to do that. Whereas Greenville and Asheville, more supportive, stick with you, let you know what's good, what's working. Whereas I rarely get those stage opportunities anymore to just, wing it for 10 minutes (laughs) um but but i guess yeah i guess at that time i was trying to do 10 new minutes and i was probably trying to remember what what had worked
0: (laughs) yeah and so now because of the way the new york scene is the way you work new material is you start out strong with a couple of strong jokes and then you put in a couple of new jokes and then you end strong with jokes you know do well and that that can get a good reaction.
1: Exactly, yeah. Usually I'll try out, like, a couple new minutes in the middle, and uh, I won't need to furiously write anything down because I remember more or less what I said.
0: Yeah, yeah. So is there any concern in New York about doing material again, like, there there are times here where somebody can work a joke again like you're you're talking about but they'll people actually will get mad and say like oh I've heard them do this joke before.
1: Yeah, I've, I mean, I, is that a thing there? I haven't seen that happen where you have repeat audiences in New York. It's almost always a new audience.
0: So do you ever have to switch jokes out?
1: You want to rotate material because every show in New York there's 10 there might be ten comics watching you, and you don't want to bore the other ten mm-hmm. comics. Mm-hmm. But, but more or less, but generally, I don't worry about repeating crowds mm-hmm. in New York. So I just, I just focus on whatever material it is I'm trying to work on that month mm-hmm. to do that.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, how do you approach developing material? Are, are you one to have a premise and then get on stage and see what comes out, or do you like to figure out the beats off stage and then? put it on stage and see what happens.
1: I try to figure out most of the beats off stage mm. and then bring it on stage. I've mm-hmm. had very, I have a, when I do new stuff on stage off the cuff, it might be some, some extra jokes that add on to what I was already saying. Mm-hmm. But generally the meat of it, I have to work out off stage.
0: Do you bounce your jokes off of someone or do you process the jokes alone and try to figure it out that way?
1: Um, I usually write it down, Mm -hmm. and then I, from there, say it out, try to say it out loud. And if it sounds okay out loud, then I'll just try to remember it, (laughs) which is hard, and try to do it on stage. Yeah,
0: I have a hard time with the remembering it part. I find that I can't write the whole joke out and then remember everything when I get on stage, but I also can't do a minimalist version of that and just just write uh, like the premise because I will almost always forget a tag or some angles
1: yeah and I think a lot of comics I don't know I mean everybody's different but I think a lot of people try to I don't I don't do this but I think a lot of people try to squeeze it into conversation oh just to <laughs> To help them remember what they were talking about.
0: No, I can't do that. <laughs> it's hard enough that people think I'm I'm doing that anyway, right? Like I'm <laughs> just having a conversation with them, and they just go, "Oh, are you comedianing me?" They make up a word to say that. Yeah. They just assume that I'm doing a bit.
1: Oh, my my saddest moment, my saddest moments as a comedian are when you're just having a conversation and somebody's like, "Are you doing a bit on me?" and I'm like, "No, I was literally I was literally just talking to you."
0: Right. Our friend Nick Shaheen who booked you a lot when you when you all lived in the area. Uh but he and I were talking once about people saying that and being accused of doing material and he said, "No, I'm just that funny." <laughs> <laughs> he was just but, like, "It's how we talk." It's
1: sad that yeah. It's
0: so annoying.
1: It's sad that they don't believe you. they, they think that I'm trying to trying to workshop on them.
0: Yeah, we're just talking.
1: Sometimes I say something funny. That doesn't mean that I'm doing a joke.
0: Right, right.
1: That's the, that's the worst part of being a comedian, probably, is conversation.
0: Yeah, and the other rough part is when like someone tries to give you material, but it's never anything that's really funny. It's hardly ever anything that's an actual joke or, or actual material. And they're always just, they'll just interject that. They'll talk about the, the Most mundane thing ever, and they're like, oh, you can use that in your act. Right, right. Oh, here's some material.
1: No, that's, yeah, that's your story, buddy. (laughs)
0: Yeah, Yeah, so uh, transitioning to your your career, uh, looking at your credits, it looks like things started happening for you all at once. Yeah. It, It looks that way.
1: I mean, it was happening a lot of, there were a lot of things in a row, but as it's happening, you do one thing, and then you have nothing. And then three months later, well, you do one thing and you have nothing. And then like four months later, you get asked to do another thing. And you're like, Mm -hmm. all right. (laughs) And then you do that and then you have nothing. And then like six months later, you get asked to do another thing. So it feels like you're just doing one thing
2: Mm
1: -hmm. and then you don't have anything. (laughs) But it just happened to be that several things happened within about a year and a half. Right. But it's not like I. It's not like it felt like everything was happening. Yeah,
0: it was a good year, though.
1: Yeah, it was a good year. You don't you don't get all those things that you don't get you don't learn about them all at once. Right. It's just like a bunch of things in, in a row that keep right. nice. But uh, I will say, I will say, the one moment that it did feel like that was I did do last comic standing
2: mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
1: on a Friday, and I had to fly to Boston on Saturday oh, to arrive in time to do the half hour special
0: oh wow that's cool
1: <laughs> so that was the one time where i was like that was the one time where i was like whoa there's a lot going on here yeah and that was cool and but then the funny thing is those those things uh, are released five months apart anyway <laughs>
2: yeah
0: very true well we've reached the end of the episode
1: oh all right
0: yeah and what i like to do with the guest is uh create something together uh, not sure what specifically we could create. Maybe, um, well, you're on tour. You're, That's you're right. doing the, the self-help tour.
1: Self-help. It's the and self-help me. Self-help me. Yeah.
0: Oh, yes, yes. Uh, the self-help me tour. Yeah. So maybe we can talk about how you developed this tour because you're kind of using self-help as your hook for this. How did you come up with, with that idea?
1: I just kind of realized my whole life I kind of, I can't help it. I've just. I always read self-help books. It's kind of a little obsession where I'm always trying to improve some little thing in my life, mm-hmm. whether it's organization, or motivation, or meditation, or happiness, or whatever it is. I'm always trying to work on one thing, and I don't, and I don't, and that's just how I am. I can't make it stop. So mm-hmm. um, I always am reading self-help books, and I've always got. I've got a bunch of little. Jo- I've got a bunch of little premises that involve self-help books, so I just decided to make a tour around that theme, mm-hmm. where I talk. I talk a. I talk a fair amount in my hour, not a, not a lot, but a fair amount about self-help stuff. Mm-hmm. And so I just wanted to try that theme for the tour. Cool. What
0: are you covering? What kind of self-help are you working talking about?
1: The book I'm reading right now. Let's see. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm reading some stuff about confidence, I'm reading some stuff about meditation, and I'm reading some stuff about if you want to talk about confidence or meditation.
0: How about meditation? I mean, I I probably could use more uh, confidence. (laughs) I guess we could talk about my confidence level. (laughs) But uh, let's go with meditation. All right. Yeah, that sounds good.
1: Do you meditate?
0: No. Uh, well, I have this short little sleep meditation podcast that I'll listen to occasionally to sleep, but that's
1: it. Okay. Well, so basically last year, 2016, the, I went back and looked at my new year's resolution and my resolution last year was to meditate every day. Mm -hmm. And, uh, that was a little aggressive (laughs) on my part. I, I think I meditated a few times last year, um, and uh, what I learned is that meditation is when you sit up with your back straight, and close your eyes, and just worry about everything.
2: <laughs>
1: um, so that's kind of a new the, one of the new jo- jokes I'm working on about meditation, where you just close your eyes and you're like, "Oh no." <laughs> That's my mantra. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm trying to get better at meditation.
0: I'd like to get better at it, too. But one of the things they say is to clear your mind. Yeah. But I, I can't really figure out how to do that. Like, it's like your mantra. Like, every everything wrong is coming to mind. You know, like, all the things I have to do that ain't, didn't get done. And then they tell you to clear your mind. But it's like, I, I don't know how to clear a desk or a dry erase board. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't know how to clear my mind. Like, what? Are, how are you supposed to do that? How do so what, you clear your mind?
1: So what they say is, what I learned is, I didn't know this, what what they mean is that you're just supposed to follow your, you're supposed to focus on your breath. Mm-hmm. And it's hard to do that. Yeah. So it's more like a intense, what I've learned is it's more like an intense focus
2: hmm
1: on your breath. But I read that you're, it's it's much easier to breathe in to focus on your in breath,
2: mm-hmm. okay. and it's
1: harder to focus on your out breath. Hmm. But so now that's like what I think about too much. <laughs> I'm just like in breath, easy. Out breath, got it.
2: <laughs> yeah. I'm just like
1: competitive. I don't think you're supposed to be competitive about your breathing, but no. <laughs> I think that's where I'm at right now. It almost helps. It almost helps to. Uh, treat it like a sport because it really is intense focus to stay on your breath.
0: Yeah, and I guess the reason some pro athletes have had, had success with meditation is because they have that intense focus. Totally. And they always tell you to breathe a specific way when you're working out so that works for them, I imagine, as well.
1: Great to breathe.
0: <laughs> well, there it is. Uh, we'll call it there. That was a, a really good talk. Cool, thank you and uh yeah thanks for being on the podcast joe that was really great jason thank
1: you for having me i hope that you enjoyed it i hope that it went i hope that it went well for you i just want you to be happy (laughs) i really
0: enjoyed that chat i hope you did and i certainly am happy i thank you joe i thank you personally If you want to know more about Joe, you can go to his website, joezimmermancomedy.com, read up on his bio, and also find out when he is performing. He is performing Thursday night in Wisconsin and then Friday and Saturday in Minneapolis, so definitely go check those out. You can also connect to his Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube from his website. And uh, you can go buy his album on iTunes. It's called Smiling at Wolves. Funny guy. And you can also check us out online, as I mentioned earlier, thereitispod.com. And you can find us on Facebook and Twitter at thereitispod. You can find me on Twitter at Jason Far Jokes. It's been a lot of Trump stuff lately, and I should probably stop that. Well, I have a fun episode for you next week. I'm going to be at the Charleston Comedy Festival with my good friends from Alchemy Comedy here in Greenville. We're going to be down there performing, having a great time, and I'm going to record some stuff there with that crew and everyone who's going to be there, and we're going to talk about our shows and hopefully have some special guests. Maybe, if I'm lucky, some previous guests will make an appearance. Well, folks, until next time, be good to each other.